Well, good morning. That's the way you do a reading right there, right? Holy cow. I got emotional the first service, like, let's just close in prayer. That was perfect. Uh, we're starting a new series, and uh, we, we, myself, I should just confess myself, I don't really look forward to the series coming up to Christmas. Can I tell you why? There's something in me for having grown up in the church and, and being a Christian for so long that I don't know how many different ways you could talk about the birth of Jesus, the story. And it feels like, once again, three kings, three wise men, you know, they're, they're in Bethlehem, there's a star, and it feels like, for me, my confession, uh, that we keep telling this same story this over and over and over again, and it, it's lost some impact. Like, why was it so important? I mean, I know that, the, the, that Jesus' life and his death on the cross and resurrection is the, the huge victory story for us. Easter, for me, a lot easier to get around. But the baby story, I mean, there's a lot of babies, right? I like babies, by the way. Um, but to talk about this over and over again, and so for the series, I just, I struggle sometimes getting ready and getting ramped up for Christmas. Another reason is, is because we're all most likely hurrying and going to get a lot of anxious, upset, tension, kind of moments, not because of Jesus, but because of everything else. I mean, last year we had in our service, in our Christmas Eve service, we had the lights, remember that? And we voted, and there was this question that I asked. I said, how many of you are not looking forward to tomorrow? That would be Christmas morning. And it was like 80% of the room. It's interesting how we've so muddied up and, and put so much into this holiday season it really has nothing to do with Jesus. Now, I'm not going to be a, a bummer and like saying, you know, a party pooper. It's, it's great. Christmas trees and lights and all that, the, the shopping and all that. But honestly, we filled it with so much, we've lost some of the impact. And so we started to talk about what could we do. Because really that day, this, this day that we're going to celebrate, it's really not the actual day. They're, they think it's sometime possibly in April, but... You know, years and years ago, there was uh, a Catholic pope that said, we, we need to celebrate this day. We need to mark it as a, as a holiday. And so we gather around, you know, Christmas trees, and I think sometimes the story's read, but really, does it, does it make sense? Does it, does it hit us like it did centuries ago? The, the word, uh, God with us, or this phrase, comes out of a word called Emmanuel. And we wanted to embrace this, and so we said, how is it that centuries ago this meant so much? And so we started to look, and as you look more into this idea, we sing songs, Emmanuel. It would be with an E, that's because the Romans, as they always did, made it their own, so they put an E instead of an I. But the, the original word is Emmanuel, it means God with us, but that may even sound something like you've heard before. Once again, we hear it over and over and again, but why was that important? And if you go back into the chapter of Matthew, there are four Gospels in the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Matthew, being a Jew, is going to go through the bloodline of Jesus, why he is the one that they've been waiting for, why he's the Messiah, the anointed one, the Christ. 
And so in Matthew 22, or 122, it says, all this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet Isaiah, you'll see in a moment, the virgin will conceive and give birth to a son. Matthew's quoting an Old Testament verse by a prophet, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. That verse is right there, Isaiah 7.14. Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son. They will call him Emmanuel. Okay, but that doesn't explain what is so such a big deal about God with us. This term pops up often in your Old Testament. This idea that God with us. You'll see it in the Psalms. You'll see it again in Isaiah. Devise your strategy, but it will be thwarted. Propose your plan, but it will not stand, for God is with us. I want to explain why this is such a profound and new idea as it hits the culture back then as they started to talk about it. As you see uh, culture grow throughout the Old Testament, pagan worship is very common. And pagan worship would be, uh, it would be very uh, normal to offer up sacrifices in a temple that they would have built for a god or goddess. And there were gods and goddesses that they were worshiping all over and from Asia to Middle East and they were worshiping gods and goddesses. But there was always an idea that this god or goddess was distant. It wasn't a god that you could know. It wasn't a god that you could be personal with. And so what happens with this Hebrew god as the Israelites are chosen, this chosen race, and God says very early, I will be with you. He has them build a tent, this tent of the meeting, and this tent of the meeting is built so that they can uproot it and they would move it as they wandered through the desert and they would put that back together and the Levite priests, one of the 12 tribes, they were responsible for all the kind of the the priestly duties and they would put together this one little tent you see in that surrounding and there was a room in there called the Holy of Holies and there would be a light that would come out of it. In this time period, and really it would be a marker for our faith, there is no other faith that would promise or religion that would promise that God, their God would be with them. Not just with them in spirit. You see, as the Israelites began to conquer in the promised land, there was a fear that all of the other nations would have, it says, their God marches with them. Their God is actually in a tent with them. Imagine the time if you are a pagan worshiper of gods and goddesses you could never have personal relationship with, and you hear these crazy Hebrews now have a God that is tenting with them. Thus the word, Emmanuel, God with us tenting with us, being with us. This is so profound and so powerful in that time, you could imagine then, no wonder why they were so fearful. I mean, they said they had an ark, and in that ark, God's presence was there. Moses himself creates a tent so that he and God might meet. So this concept is unique to this Hebrew faith, this God that we hear about in the Old Testament. So here's the progression of why it's important for us today, because that Old Testament lays a foundation. God longs to be with his people. He does, and so in the Old Testament we see that he tents with them. He, he literally is showing up in the Holy of Holies for them. Now they couldn't, put their, they couldn't see him, they couldn't walk in there, they would be vaporized, they couldn't handle 
uh, looking at God. Remember, God reveals himself throughout the Old Testament, but uh, he, he blinds people or allows it to be so that they can uh, just be with him and not have to fully take in who God is. Which is an interesting side note. We can't fully handle seeing who God is. So in the Old Testament, it's tenting with God, but then we have these four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Gospels being the, the stories and the account, the narrative account of the life of Jesus, written by these four authors. Now, they have different purposes, these books, but they have different kind of viewpoints of watching Jesus and work in concert with one another. But these Gospels are going to share with you the Emmanuel literally being with us. You see, they were waiting for Emmanuel to return, God to return. The nation of Israel goes through its own sinful ways. It has a a 400-year time of silence after the Old Testament. And then Jesus, Emmanuel, is born. And you hear the accounts. It's, It's Emmanuel has come. The shepherds hear it. That, that, that Jesus has come and peace is going to be on earth. And to all men, not just Roman uh, ruled cities where there's peace, the whole world will have peace. It trumps Rome. So this idea of Emmanuel actually living with them is in the human form, which is baby Jesus. This is that, that sense. And so when you read... Then you read his life, and he dies and resurrection, and he ascends. Then we have the Spirit. Acts is now the Spirit of God lives where? In us. In a tent, through the person of Jesus Christ, and now we can have God in us. Christmas is this turning point, is this shift, that a God that would be in a tent that could not fully reveal himself to us lives in human form to die to pay the penalty of sin so that we might be now the new tents where God resides in us, Emmanuel, God with us. And so we wanted to talk about this life of Jesus because the stories in the Gospels are so powerful because Jesus isn't a God showing up, demanding people worship him, shaming and guilting people for how bad they are, he begins to meet people right where they're at. We wanted to do a a series on just pulling out some of these stories of divinity meeting humanity. And the beautiful part of that, that's largely still what happens today. Jesus meets us where we're at. And this morning, as, as we read, we read this story of Doubting Thomas. Jesus meets us in our doubt. And this morning you have a card, and if you have that card, it's got a nail on there, and I want you to just, uh, how many of you have doubted in some way, shape, or form your faith at all? And I'm raising my hand to say I have. Yep, that gave a lot more people freedom to raise their hand. It's so funny with doubt, we're so afraid to admit that we have doubts about our faith. This morning I want you to write down, what is it that you struggle with in your faith? What is it you doubt? Just write it down right now, would you? I I was teasing the last service. This is where some of you stare at me thinking, he just asked us to do something, I'm not going to do it. Then I just told the last service, you might want to fake it when the pastor's there staring at you. You might want to just pretend you're writing. (laughs) Or maybe not. 
Write down what you doubt or what you struggle with besides your senior pastor. What do you doubt? What do you struggle with? What are you, what are you fearful of admitting that it's hard for you to believe? It might come to you throughout this time, but I want you just to hold on to that because it's yours. Uh, you're not turning that in. You're not pacing that on the wall somewhere. Um, that's for you. I want you to understand that Jesus meets us in our doubt and that Jesus uh, knew back then that how many thousands of years we'd be sitting in a room like this talking about doubt and it'd be very real to us because in some way, we are a lot like Thomas. Let's talk about Thomas. Doubting Thomas, as historians have now named him, by the way, he doesn't get this name from Jesus. In fact, this is not his name. Uh, but we have uh, associated doubt and Thomas. Now, Thomas is not the only one. If you just read, read your Bible, you will hear the prayers of many godly men and women throughout Scripture doubting struggling with, where are you, God? Prophets like Habakkuk and Isaiah, there, there are many that struggle with this reality of, God, where are you? Have you left us? They're doubting. John the Baptist himself, who baptizes Jesus, sends word. I know I baptize you and all, I'm paraphrasing. Are you really the one? Are you really the guy? So throughout your Bible, there are often Godly men and women who followed Jesus, who saw Jesus, who saw him do amazing things that still struggled with belief, still struggled with doubt. So Doubting Thomas was, was not really his name. It was Thomas. But otherwise known as, Laurel read, Didymus. Didymus means twin. Now, curious, because we're going to find in a minute, there's, there's some curiosity to this idea. He does have some brothers. There's some debate about which brothers he had, but I want to get back to that point, so I'm going to save it. He was one of the 12. Let's not make the mistake of because Thomas was doubting. I want in this service to try to move you away from the idea that doubt is bad. I think sometimes we could sit in rooms like this and thinking we're afraid to admit we doubt. And right now I want you to know that he was one of the 12. He walked with Jesus. In fact, there are some great signs of the character of Thomas. In fact, in John eleven sixteen, 16, he said this, when they were to go to raise Lazarus from the dead, many of the disciples were fearful because, Jesus, you're going to get killed and we'll get killed. Here's what Thomas says. Let us also go that we may die with him. Uh, a lot of courage. Would you say there's a lot of belief and trust in following someone to the death? Thomas has a great amount in this moment. There's another account in John 14. Jesus is saying to, uh, to his disciples, do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. My Father's house has many rooms. If that were not so, would I have told you that I'm going there to prepare a place for you? I'm not lying to you. If I go and prepare a place for you, I'll come back and take you to be with me, that you also may be where I am. You know the way to the place where I am going. Now, if we were disciples in that moment, wouldn't, 
it might be a, a fair question to just ask what Thomas is going to ask. Uh, Lord, we're not, I'm not sure where you're going. I don't know where you're going. I don't get this. Lord, we don't know where you're going, so how can we know the way? Again, a fair question. Now, we see Peter, the disciple Peter, asking a lot of questions that, or making statements that stuck foot in mouth. But this seems like a fair question that someone would ask. Then Jesus answers, look at what he answers. I am the way. You're, you're seeing the way. The way is through me. He says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. He will later on talk about, I, if, if you see me, you've seen the Father. He doesn't shame him. He doesn't guilt him. He doesn't shake his head. Could you imagine some of the moments that we probably expect when we talk about doubt? Just the, really? I really? He doesn't. Jesus looks at him and says, I am the way. Look, I am that way. I want to give you this, this idea that don't cast Thomas to the side as someone you can't relate to or I can't relate to. We can. He's someone that has very real emotions and some real questions like we do today. At points, finding ourselves very courageous. At points, finding ourselves unsure. Now, the word doubt uh, in, in the Greek language is, comes from two words, dis, meaning double, stasis, meaning a standing. And so it means to, to stand in two ways or in uncertainty which way to take. Now, completely my observation, and I'm not saying that to take credit, but more of because I, I haven't found some other credible sources about this, but I find it interesting that didymus means twin, two, and that this word doubt means to stand in two ways. Sometimes I love, the, sometimes, many times I find myself surprised by the Bible and amazed by its depth. Here is someone that's called a doubting person that's standing in two ways and his name means twin. Two different perspectives. Doesn't it feel like sometimes for us that we live kind of a twin-like reality? At times we can be confident, at other times we can be in doubt. Friends, this morning, if, if anything, I'm not going to answer all your doubts. If you didn't hear last week, John Dixon, Dr. John Dixon, we don't call him that, he asks us not to, but his, his PhD in ancient uh, Roman history and the, the ability for him to teach us four reasons why we could trust that Jesus lived. But if you didn't listen to that, I'd tell you to listen to that. I'm not going to be able to answer all the issues of doubt this morning. What I want you to know, that it's okay to doubt. That it's very normal in our faith to struggle. I, I have found that over, over the years of my faith and studying Scripture, still struggling. I could explain to you the Trinity. I could tell you all the right verses. I could, I could say three in one, God the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Many of you could do the same. I could explain it all. I could give you lots of facts about it, lots of realities about it. Do I understand it? No. So if I think too hard about it, oh yeah, the doubt like, how does that work? 
creation of the earth. There's a whole spin now on how many, how long is a day in God's kingdom, right? There's this whole idea of was it a literal seven days or was it a million years on day one? I don't know. And so we, we unearth all this stuff and so if you're not free to talk about doubt, well, we then, we posture ourselves more almost in argumentation, right? And we start to fight one another and it less becomes about finding truth and about being right. This morning, I want to try to peel away all that and say, we're looking at a God that says, I want to be with you and I'm going to meet you in the midst of your doubt this morning. So John 20, as Laurel read, Verse 19, on the evening of the first day of the week, when the disciples were gathered, the doors were locked for fear that the Jewish leaders would come. Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. So you got to get the picture. I think sometimes we can miss some of the context. The one you have been following for three years, you saw him heal people. You saw him raise the dead. You, You saw him feed thousands. You saw him bring love and peace, forgiveness, unlike anyone else. Then you saw him captured and tortured beyond imagination, as it says, beyond recognition. Do you think that would have an effect on you? They they talk about those who have gone to war. You know, the the post-traumatic stress that, that when someone visualizes the horrific nature of brutality on others, what that does to people. Could you imagine what they would feel like? Now, we don't get historically, and we probably could do a research study, how many other Christians were taken, beaten, and killed around this, this, this time period after Jesus was, was killed. I'm sure there had to be fear. I'm sure that they were nervous about who knows who we are, so they locked the door. They try to keep out those who might get them. And so Jesus comes right in and says, peace be with you. Now, I want you to hear that phrase. He's going to say it three times. Not by accident three times. I think, again, all throughout Scripture, you'll find numbers very important. But three times he says, peace be with you. This word peace isn't the absence of conflict, as we like to think. I just hope you have some peace, you know. Have some peace this afternoon. Like the... You know, the absence of problem. No, the word shalom means to be filled up, to be completed, to be whole, to be perfected. Jesus doesn't wish this on them and says, I, I complete you. I'm, I'm bringing completeness and fullness and wholeness and, and, and a happiness and a new level for you, and it's, it's here now. Very powerful for these disciples probably to hear this. It says, after this, he shows them his hands. And the disciples were overjoyed and they saw the Lord. Now, I get that the Bible says they were overjoyed, but could you just, just think for me for a moment? It's an awkward moment. You know, it's kind of like horror movie. I don't know if you know, like, I've ever, never been into those shows, but that would have freaked me out. Whoa, Jesus, the healing didn't begin, did it? I mean, you're seeing holes in his hand and his side and... We don't know what he looked like, but had to be spooky. He comes through the door. He's there. And it says that he actually, they actually began to touch the wounds of Jesus. 
Again, Jesus says, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. And then he breathes on them. Receive the Holy Spirit. We see this because this is the beginnings of what's going to happen in the first book of Acts is that the church is going to be launched. So remember we talked about Old Testament tenting with us, Emmanuel. Jesus is the Emmanuel physically with us. And then Jesus ascends and says, I'm leaving one that you'll do greater works than I. I leave the spirit that will invade in you. He'll be in your life. It's the deposit of the Holy Spirit. Breathe the Holy Spirit, and he says, you forgive anyone's sins, they're forgiven, and if you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. And so, verse 24, it says, now Thomas, also known as Didymus, one of the twelve, was not with the disciples when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, we've seen the Lord. Don't you think this would have been that moment of, you want to go tell somebody, from absolute horror and loss and fear, he's alive. I mean, they had to be pumped, right? They had to be overjoyed, ecstatic, and they probably wanted to tell the people that knew Jesus the most, let's go run and tell them. Just look at the awkward friend moment that's about to unfold. We've seen the Lord. And Thomas paraphrased, no, I don't believe you. He says to them, unless I see the nail marks in his hand and put my finger where the nails were, put my hand in his side, I will not believe. Now, have you ever, has anyone in the room ever had someone tell you they don't believe you and it frustrates you? Anybody had that happen? I love my wife. Um, that's just a precursor to what you're about to hear right now. And she didn't give me permission, but she approved it after the first service. Um, I love reading, and I love reading facts, uh, and, and at times I can, I, I can tell stories, or sometimes I don't know where I read things, because you know, if you're a reader or a learner or a studier, you tend to collect a lot of things, but there are times where I've read something very profound, and it's like a did you know, and I'll come to Trish and I'll say, oh my gosh, did you know this, and she'll say, no, I don't believe that. Oh my gosh, is that frustrating, because there's an assumption there, right? A, she thinks I'm reading the National Enquirer, right? <laughs> she thinks the source that I have is not credible, right? Or, you're an idiot and you didn't understand what you read. That's what I'm feeling. She doesn't say that, right? Or you're lying to me. All those things go through my head of like, what? how can you say you don't believe that? I just told you. This, this, is, this is what I read. It's true. Could you imagine the disciples? Well, are you saying we're crazy? We just, we just put our hands into his wounds. We just saw him. We touched him. We talked with him. Are you crazy? I'm sure there, there's a week that's going to go on here. Awkward friend week, right? Hey, you want to get together? Yeah, just don't invite Thomas. Wah, wah. He's kind of a bummer. The dude doesn't believe us. Could, could you imagine that? Sometimes I, we... we go over the Bible so quickly, this had to be horribly painful to not be believed and you were an eyewitness. You saw it for yourself. Now, let me put this in context a little bit. Have you had conversations with people? Your faith is so real to you. And, and you'll tell them about your faith and it will be, oh no, 
I'm not buying that. Oh, is that frustrating, isn't it? And you so want to, what are you saying? I'm a liar? I'm a crazy person about faith? I think this is an interesting for us to recognize that it's, it, we can't make people believe. We can't make people cross that line. What I love here is his friends want to tell him, but it doesn't say that his friends shamed him. So a week later, his disciples were in the house again, uh, and I don't know how Thomas got into this party, but he was there, right? <laughs> Even though he was the bummer, he might have been sitting in the corner sulking and saying, you guys are nuts. Through the, though the doors were locked, Jesus came in and stood among them, said, peace be with you. I would, I would pay money. Well, I won't have to in heaven. I can go replay the videotape, right? I would love to see Thomas, wouldn't you? Could you just picture him sitting in one side of the room, kind of just angry that they're so, uh, thinking, maybe, maybe him thinking, my friends are crazy. They're so delusional, so broken over the death of our friend Jesus. They're, they're just whacked. But you, could you imagine for a moment when Jesus appears in that room, what happens to him? <gasps> could, could you imagine the look he would have probably given the other disciples? <gasps> you were telling the truth. You were right. They had all the facts. They, they were eyewitnesses. There couldn't have been better proof. In Jewish law, there was more than, there was more than enough eyewitnesses to make it uh, reliable in a court law, in a, in, a, in a courtroom. Sometimes you can't make people believe. Sometimes it's just the Spirit of God has to move through a heart that's locked, move through a mind that's locked, and it just opens it. And so look at his reaction. Through the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood with them, peace be with you, and he says to Thomas, you idiot Thomas. <laughs> right? I can't believe you didn't believe your friends. Notice that our God, our Savior, Emmanuel, meets Thomas right in his doubt. Doesn't shame him. Doesn't guilt him. I get so frustrated with Christians that just want to war with people that don't believe. And they want to come up with a list of things to refute people. When I don't, I don't see this. Even Paul himself in the face at Areopagus in Acts where he's facing the lead philosophers of the time doesn't go, and he's grieved about the pagan worship. He doesn't go up there trying to lamb blast them and trying to prove them wrong. He uses what they know. He moves into where they're at. Jesus moves into the life of Thomas, right where he's at. And he says to Thomas, Thomas, come. Come and touch me. Put your fingers in, into my hands and into my side and stop doubting and believe. Stop doubting, Thomas. There's no exclamation point. There's no shout. There's no reprimand. I love that about our God, that he meets all of us in our doubt. I mean, again, reading your Bible, there are countless times where the scriptures are clear, where, where people have dropped to their knees in doubt about God. 
And yet God just graciously moves into that. Thomas says to him something maybe, maybe is unique, and again, in my study, I find it's the only time mentioned by a disciple specifically, but I, leave, I believe in, in the New Testament, or the Gospels, at least that. It says, my Lord and my God. Why is this important? Often you'll find that they'll call Lord, Jesus Lord. This happens often. In fact, Jesus will say in Matthew and a couple other Gospels, why do people call me Lord, Lord, and don't do what I say? Or many will call me Lord, Lord, and will not know me. Lord was a very respectful way to say to the rabbi, like, sir, like uh, a good rabbi. It was a respectful title. Thomas says something very unique. My Lord and my God. Two in one. I don't understand it, but I'm claiming that. That would have shocked the room. Because as a good Jew... You are monotheistic. You are one God, not in two parts. And later we'll find in God the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, the Trinity. This is Islam. Islam believes in monotheism. That's why they see Christians as heretics, because there's this three in one. This is Thomas, doubting Thomas now, claiming in the room out loud, my Lord and my God, two in one. Then Jesus tells him, because you have seen me, you have believed. You got that opportunity. But blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Jesus throws out a little promise, probably for us to read. Because we won't get the chance until he returns to put our hands and touch the wounds physically. But he said, there is a great blessing for those who have faith when they don't see. Jesus talks about this, doesn't he? He talks about those who have great faith. He talks about the Roman soldier saying, you don't even have to come to my house, Jesus. Just say it and she'll be healed. He goes, that's great faith. The woman that just touches the, the end of his robe and says, that's great faith. The widow's mite that puts it into the, to the offering, that's great faith. There are these accolades for those who faith, even though they don't understand, they have doubt and they haven't seen, still put their trust in Jesus. So the last part of this, Jesus performs many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. Let me make a couple observations about doubt. One, your confusion about your belief does not make it untrue. This is so big... Bob and I were talking at the end of the first service. I could just spend a whole morning on this. We have a very warped perception here in our culture in America about arguing, about debating things that we don't agree on. And we have this arrogant perspective. We all do. We, we grew up here in America that if we don't understand it, it has to be wrong. That is such an arrogant perspective about God. That just because we're confused about something does not make it untrue. If I could say to you, as I will say in a minute, that, that there are many things that we fully don't understand, yet we have trust in. Just because we're confused about something doesn't make it untrue. In faith, there's enough light for those who want to believe and enough shadows to blind those who don't. Pascal said this. Isn't that beautiful? You know what that means? I can't convince you to follow Jesus. People have called me and said, Troy, will you meet with this person and give them all the facts about Jesus so that they, they walk in? That won't happen. I tell them, no. It doesn't work that way. 
There is enough about Jesus for you to believe if you're seeking to believe. But there's also enough shadows for you not to believe in doubt if you're looking to not believe. Really, it's measuring what a heart wants. What's a heart looking for? Even this week, I've been meeting with people that have some attending our church and some not, but struggling to trust Jesus. And I, I would recommend, again, the message we heard from John Dixon last week. But remember, he said, he said as he was walking around, some of you are taking all these steps and there's that last one of belief. And it really comes down, how much information will you need? Belief rarely has complete clarity. I will challenge all of you to think about this. Very few things in your life have 100% clarity, if any. Financial decisions, <laughs> there's not a lot of surety in that. Health decisions, clarity is something I think we think we have, but we rarely do. We rarely do, and a lot of the things that we trust. Belief very rarely has complete clarity. You will not have all your answers if you are seeking to get a 100% picture of Jesus Christ. At some point, it's going to be faith. And that's why it's called faith. Faith isn't believing without proof. It's trusting without reservation. Faith isn't believing without proof. It's not that there are, there's out, I have enough proof. For some of you, you're going to need more, but at some point, it's beginning to believe and trust. Now, this one was hard to explain, so, and it was hard for me to write, but let me explain it. Doubt is a part of faith only when it is not left alone. What I mean by that, there are a lot of writings out there that say faith and doubt work together. But what I find is they only work together when you're allowing doubt to work itself out out loud and you're not leaving it alone. I think our culture is afraid to talk about doubt. Like I struggle with this idea that Jesus really walked the earth or I struggled with resurrection. It's talking it out loud. It's letting doubt continue to work itself out. Paul talks about this. Work out your faith. That's why community is great. To be able to work together with other believers going, yeah, I struggle with that too and let's work together. When faith is, is complete, it's going to have doubt that works out out loud and then they work together. It cannot be left alone. Faith is to believe what we do not see. It's the reward of this faith and the reward of this faith is to see what we believe. When we start to believe or we start to have faith, we start to see things that we never saw before. Again, God did not work that way throughout the scripture to say, hey, I'm going to part this Red Sea and then you're going to walk through it. What does he say? Go down and your feet are going to hit the water. Then you're going to see something. You know, Moses is going to have to get in the water. Often it's begin to move in faith and trust me. Faith is when doubt has no more questions. Doesn't mean it won't pop up. And, and I will admit and confess, I still have doubts. But my doubts, I don't know I have any more questions with them. I just don't understand it. Again, I could tell you about Trinity and creation and so many different pictures of the Bible and things I understand, but there are so many things I don't that I am left with no more questions. I trust. I trust the one who's changed me. I trust the one that's changed people around me. 
Hebrews 11.1. We're going to finish with this and we'll go into response. Now faith is confidence. What is confidence? We heard it last week. John said it's the same word where we get the word asphalt. It's solid. It's something I can stand on. Now faith is that surety that I have confidence in what I'm hoping for, that Jesus is who he says he is, and the assurance. What is assurance? It's tested. It's tested. I want to stop there because it's testing about the things we don't see. Have you tested the doubts in your life? Have you, with the doubts you have on that card, tested it, talked about it, searched it out, God says, really, faith is this confidence in what we hope for and a testing about the things we do not see. It's testing it to let it be proven. Some of you are struggling to trust God with your life and you've kind of locked up your heart and mind and not allowed God in. And God's saying, oh, just test me and see. And we're going to go to communion And I want us just to, to before we go there, understand the scripture says very clearly, you drink judgment on yourself. I read this a few weeks ago and just talking more about it. Everybody's invited to the table if they know God. But the Bible's clear. Don't use this as a rabbit's foot. Don't use this as a way to try to make things right in your life. It is, once again, a way to remember the surety the assurance, to reaffirm the hope and the faith that I have in the one that died for me. Paul says you drink judgment on yourself, and he even says some of you are falling asleep and getting sick. You know what he means? Crazy in the New Testament. Some people are dying and getting sick because they're taking communion wrong. So how do you like that for a setup to go to communion um, this morning? I say that because you know what the table is? You don't have to be perfect. But you go with a sense within that doubt that you have what you stand on is what you have faith in. You stand on the hope of this God that loves us in the midst of our doubt and sends his son Jesus. Damien and Eric Olson and Danny and I were in Angola prison last year and I'll probably go again this year. We got invited back. And the warden, before we left, gave us a key, a key to the one of the cells, and he told us, don't bring this in, because it actually works. And he didn't want guys leaving. But I remember something that Damien had said that one of the guys had said, said, you can lock us in here and lock the world out, but you can't keep the Spirit of God from coming in. You can't lock Jesus out. Friends, in the midst of our doubt, God will move through a locked heart and a locked mind. And he'll reveal himself in the midst of your doubt. I love that we serve and worship a God that meets us in our doubt. Amen? Father in heaven, this morning as we go to the table, might we just be reminded of a God of grace and mercy in the midst of our struggle, in the midst of our not understanding. And might we this morning with the cards that we have, just put those in our Bibles as a reminder to doubt out loud to doubt with friends, to doubt with believers, to doubt even and talk to you. And just say, God, in our humanity, we struggle. But God, we love the fact that you meet us in that place. We thank you in Jesus' name.
Amen.